whether it is at the sea level, mid level, entry level, you need to have a seat at the table in the work that you are doing and having those expectations clear with your manager and also fortifying that with your everyday work ethic and your proactive nature. All of these things need to come together. But if you don't have a seat at the table, you will not be heard. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lyons. And I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. In this episode, we're speaking with Sarisha Kolmikalva, Chief Strategy Officer at Data Robot. Data Robot is an AI cloud leader that delivers a unified platform for all users, all data types, and all environments to accelerate the delivery of AI to production. Sirisha's role encompasses partnerships, overall company strategy, corporate development, and philanthropy. Needless to say, she's a very busy woman. Throughout her career, Sirisha has straddled the worlds of technology and investment banking, working her way up through Bank of America Merrill Lynch to be its first female managing director of software investment banking, global head of AI, ML, IoT, big data, and CRM. A huge accomplishment. And if some of those things don't quite make sense to you yet, the ML, the IoT, and all those things that we are abbreviating, we will definitely dig into it more in this episode so that you can better understand. Here is my conversation with Sarisha. I'm Surusha Karmalkalva, Chief Strategy Officer of Data Robot. I live in San Francisco Bay Area with my husband and daughter. And um, it's been a journey to get to Data Robot. I'm looking forward to sharing all of that with you today. Would you share with us what were some of your early experiences in childhood and in your youth that led to your career in technology? So I was um, born and brought up in South India, a place called Hyderabad, which is uh, one of the two IT capitals of India, along with Bangalore. From very young age on, I was decently good in math and all the quant-related subjects in school, but I had varied interests, whether it is at one point I wanted to go to politics. The other one was, uh, of course, engineering, but I wanted to become a doctor at various stages of my life. And I, along with my parents' consultation, what friends were doing and where Indian economy was, I eventually chose engineering because the uh, number of avenues, the number of colleges in India uh, for computer science really mushroomed in the last two decades or so. And I graduated my high school in late 90s. And that was the time when technology and computer science and software was really exploding in India. And that seemed like a good time to get into this very innovative industry that's great for young people coming in to essentially shape the path of the industry. So that's how I ended up in tech. I um, My thought process was after high school, I wanted to be in tech. So I, I went to a college, I chose a college that would help me get there. So I, went, I did engineering in uh, one of the prestigious colleges in India. And uh, while doing my engineering, 
I started a company in my junior year in tech with my undergrad classmates. That experience was extremely exciting. And in my final year during campus placements, I got into Oracle. That was my first job out of college. And I was super thrilled to join Oracle in their Hyderabad office. And then I did various career moves after that. But the journey to getting into tech was primarily because of my interest towards the STEM side of subjects. Thanks for sharing that. And so, and sort of connected to that, what was your path to becoming Chief Strategy Officer at Data Robot? And what, what has it been like trailblazing such an entirely new role? My career journey has been long and varied. Um, So after I joined Oracle out of undergrad, I stayed there for a year and a half and I moved to the United States. My first job was New Jersey. Uh, I moved to a company called Cognizant Technology Solutions. Cognizant is an IT services company, whereas Oracle is a software company. And for Cognizant, I was doing internal software development. I did that for two and a half years. Uh, My experience at Cognizant was probably the best experience I had pre-MBA because it really opened my uh, aperture, my horizon into what it takes to run a company because I was in our headquarters in New Jersey, whereas Oracle, I was in a development center back in India. But at Cognizant, um, working with the VPs, senior VPs and CXO level of people, I really uh, understood what it takes to get to those senior levels. And I counted the number of years it would take me to get from the position that I was at Cognizant to that senior level, C-level. And I was like, oh, this is a multi-decade journey looks like and uh, MBA will accelerate that journey. So that was the thought process. So I gave my GMAT and chose to go to University of Chicago Booth School of Business for my MBA. That further opened my uh, aperture into what are the other career options other than technology. I really had a great time in tech. I wanted to be in tech, but what are the other skills that I had to learn? And I learned about this career path called investment banking. And investment banking, every step of the journey, every three years, it's up or out in terms of either you get promoted to the next level or you're out of the industry, more or less. Sometimes people do four years too. And that industry, uh, eventually you need to become a trusted advisor. Sales side of it is very important. How you market yourself is important. And I really was drawn to that industry because of my quant background, my strength in uh, math. And also I found that, oh, there is a lot more for me to learn to get to that senior level. The good thing was I, interned at Merrill Lynch in their Palo Alto office. This was in 2008 in their technology investment banking office. So there was that thread of technology in my career, even though I moved to the finance industry uh, investment banking by because my clients were technology companies. God, and what interesting timing, 2008. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you must have witnessed so much right at that you know, apex of so many changes. And funny story is that I finished my internship at Merrill in August of 2008, and I was hoping to join Merrill back uh, full time. 
in 2009. And a month after I finished my internship, Bank of America announced acquisition of Merrill Lynch, if you remember those days. And I joined the combined company, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, after my graduation. But it was a period of change. But I loved the team that I was in. I loved the experience over my summer. And then I joined them back full time. I spent over 12 years there at Merrill Lynch, went all the way from summer associate to managing director. I was the first female managing director in the group Tech Media Telecom globally, doing what I was doing. That was a phenomenal experience from a personal growth standpoint. And last year, um, when Data Robot reached out asking for this role, all my entire experience leading up to this, technology, software, investment banking, everything, they all came together to make me a fit for this chief strategy officer role. This is uh, Data Robot's first chief strategy officer hire, and we were rounding out our leadership team. It was a good timing. Yeah, there's so many leaders that say, like, you don't really know the path and, like, why? And then later you have these opportunities and everything comes together in culmination, like you said, and it all just makes sense, all your exposure. That is so interesting. What barriers or challenges have you faced in your career, especially those related to being a woman and a mother and someone who maybe isn't commonly seen in a C-suite role? A lot. Not because my employers were not supportive, but because there were no role models. I'll start from my post-MBA career that's more relevant. In investment banking, it's a very male-heavy environment. Even till today, it's a very male-heavy environment. Banks are doing everything that they can to increase the female population. And Bank of America, they take diversity very, very seriously. But you always have this issue of entry level. You can adjust your recruiting efforts to get 50 plus percent of women in the classes, but retention uh, becomes difficult of those women over time. And in terms of challenges for me personally, because of those retention challenges, I was the senior most female investment banker in our office forever. So there was nobody that I could go talk to to uh, get some of the basic dumb questions answered. For example, like, what should I wear to a meeting? What should I wear to a dinner? Do I need to be in high heels or not? How is it perceived? Uh, Because it's a client relationship business, uh, there are some acceptable norms for women that are very different from men. And eventually, I became that person who people could come to But um, it it really took me some time to get there. And one of the things that really helped me was a leadership program uh, that Bank of America sponsored me for. That's an internal leadership program where they chose about 10 women in the investment banking division across the 2000 plus people business unit. And it was an intense six month program that was uh, given by an external agency to essentially groom uh, mid-level female investment bankers into senior female bankers. And that was really, really helpful. And that's where I got a lot of my dumb questions answered. So that's one challenge, I would say, lack of role models there. And the second one is also, there is this taboo about having a family, not 
dedicating yourself 100% to the career very early on when I joined that industry. Now that taboo doesn't exist anymore. Banks are encouraging female employees to expand their families. Maternity leave, paternity leave policies are extremely accommodating. But that was something when I joined uh, that was still not the case. I joined the industry in 2009. I chose to have a child in my second year of business school and get done with it before I joined the industry because I didn't want to take time out of my career because that would put me back. I know it's a very archaic, old kind of thinking to today's standards, but at that time I was so career-minded. I wanted to make sure that I didn't disturb my family route because I didn't want to, I wanted to have a child in my 20s. So I had a child and then went into investment banking career. So that is the second one I would say all of these issues are being solved, but these are some of the challenges that I faced. I think a lot of that has gone by the wayside, but there's still some remnants. And I think hearing that helps kind of shed light on where we are today and that we're still in the progress of progressing and making it better. You work in both AI and finance. Can you give an example of how those two fields have intersected at Data Robot or even prior in previous experiences too, if you feel like that's more relevant? Oh, for sure. It happens on a day-to-day basis uh, because financial services companies are some of the biggest users of AI technology. If you look at data robots business, financial services is a big industry vertical for us. And um, I am an executive sponsor for many of our banking customers because of my experience in investment banking industry. And this happens every single day, whether you are trying to detect fraudulent transactions, whether you are trying to detect uh, like lower false positives in your risk organization, or you're trying to target your customers more effectively and efficiently using personalization and your historic success rate at a company, or whether you're trying to find the next mergers and acquisitions candidate, etc. There is n number of ways in which you can use AI in finance. And this intersection makes my job even more interesting because of my background. I would say Financial services is probably at the leading edge of using AI. I'm not comparing it with technology industry, but outside tech, they are one of the leading verticals implementing AI. And what would you say makes you excited about coming to work every day? Lots of things. Um, First one at Data Robot is we are creating a category in the AI ML space, and I'm just passionate about this sector. I've spent the last eight years of my life covering uh, AI ML sector. And it's just so fascinating to see a technology trend unfold and take shape in front of your eyes. We read stories and books about, oh, this is how semiconductors industry happened. This is how mobile industry happened and all that. But I'm living that evolution of the industry. And that is extremely exciting for me. So that's number one. And number two is the... um, talent and approach that we have at Data Robot to make a difference in this industry and really take this industry forward, the company is truly a pioneer. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of chaos around us because we are defining the standards, but it is just uh, very fulfilling to work with a team that is setting the standard in the industry. Do you see many women in the AI space and what kind of roles are they currently occupying and 
if you're not seeing many, but I, I want to hear what your your thoughts are on that, what can be done to encourage more women to join the AI field? I don't have specific statistics to share with you, but my anecdotal experience suggests that in AI ML, there are two different tracks I want to talk about. One is the core engineering data science track. The other one is AI management track. And in the AI management track, in my customer conversations, I see a lot of women who lead data analytics teams or from a business standpoint, uh, they may not be coding every day, but they lead those efforts for companies. Uh, they are leading the way. I see so many women across sectors, actually, from a manufacturing company, uh, oil and gas company like Chevron to all the way into our financial services industry. Um, there are a lot of women pioneering. And that was a big surprise to me when I came to Data Robot is like, oh, wow, women are truly uh, leading the AI revolution. But you don't see it in the news yet because these are probably women that need to grow in their roles, maybe three to five years, and they will become the center of gravity for AI implementation in organizations. So that uh, on the management side. On the engineering side, I have less visibility into the engineering. I think in general, tech has a long way to go to get uh, gender parity in engineering. I think efforts to bring girls into STEM, having them do more computer science or other science technology related courses in their undergrad and attracting them to the industry, all of those efforts will be very helpful. There are a number of women in data robots C-suite. What is it like working in a senior environment where there are more than just you in the room? And share that with us. And what are some of the challenges or maybe some of the unexpected, wonderful things that come about because of that? That's a great question. Our chief marketing officer is a woman, our head of HR is a woman. I think we just understand each other so much more deeply. It's not about the amount of time we spend with each other, but we understand our styles. Even without uttering a word, I know what that person is thinking because I'm. we just understand each other. And having them on the leadership team is just absolutely fantastic for me. I don't want to be the only person. <laughs> I don't mind because I've been in a lot of male-heavy organizations and industries where I have been the only woman in the room many, many times. But at Data Robot, I have my uh, CMO and head of HR who are absolute pleasure to work with. Can you share with us what are some of the challenges that you've experienced in making yourself heard in the past? That's a great question. Uh, I spent a lot of time in my career understanding how to do it. And it's an everyday learning process, um, not just for women, but also men. Um, making yourself heard is a very, whether at home or whether in the office, is a very important thing. So I would say three things. Um, one is, I think you need to take responsibility to make yourself heard. What I mean by that is don't stay quiet in meetings. If you stay quiet in too many meetings, people don't know what kind of ideas you have. They don't know whether uh, you can drive a situation. So it's honest is on you to um, be proactive in participating in meetings. 
whether it's customer meetings or internal meetings. And second one is demanding a seat at the table in whichever group you are, depending on your level, uh, whether it is at the C-level, mid-level, entry level, you need to have a seat at the table in the work that you are doing and having those expectations clear with your manager and also fortifying that with your everyday work ethic and your proactive nature together. All of these things need to come together, but you need to have a seat at the table. And if you don't have a seat at the table, you will not be heard. And number three is we need to ask for what we need. And your question was about how can I uh, make myself heard more? But the counterpoint to that is if I don't ask, people won't understand what I need. So sometimes asking is the best way to being heard. I do think uh, a combination of all these three uh, things will help you articulate things in a way that people understand and if you have good opinions, again, people don't listen to you just because you're a woman or a man or you are some diverse person. People listen to you because you have ideas to contribute. Uh, you have value to contribute. And if you articulate your ideas and value in a way that is constructive, people will listen to you. If there are situations where people are truly not listening to you, even, even after you try so much, maybe that's not the right place for you to work. Such good feedback, such good guidance. Thank you for sharing those three very important points. We always like to ask all of our guests, can you tell us about a time when you felt like you were in your element? I feel like I'm in my element every single day. At work, I'm happy with all the, with my colleagues and with the uh, value add that I have in my career. And also at home with my daughter, with my parents and with my husband, I feel like I'm in my element. Yes, there are ups and downs, but every day is a beautiful day and um, there is only learning and I enjoy the journey very much. That was our conversation with Sirisha Kadmalkava. So Suchi, what are some of your key takeaways from that conversation? She spoke so much about the lack of role models in earlier in her career, especially in investment banking. And you know, that really hit a chord for me, Corinne, that even in this day and age, that role modeling, which is so powerful to be able to get more women, as she said, a seat at the table, making decisions, driving change. And yet there's such a dearth of them. That was surprising for me to hear. I mean, she's been in this realm for a while now, so it's not like this says going back in time, but there's still work to be done there. And that she's seen the progression even while she's been in her career in these past years. So it's interesting that sort of it's improving, but she's seen that change herself firsthand. That's right. And so for me, what's really stood out is it is a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem to get more role models in. What are the things that, you know, we can do? But then once you get them in, they're so powerful. What stands out to you the most about the conversation, Corinne? I thought it was interesting hearing, I guess, maybe because of myself, like being a woman who's in technology and having a family myself, it really stood out to me what she said about um, being quite 
pragmatic and strategic about, you know, timing the birth of her first child and sort of trying to make it work better for her career progression. That really struck me as quite interesting and how pragmatic, just how pragmatic she was and able to be and follow through on, but also that maybe there's some of that proliferating even today that you still need to think of that and that we still have a bit of a ways to go is kind of what stood out to me. I do want to say this is getting better, that more and more employers are becoming friendlier to accommodate these pragmatic sort of life decisions. But yet, I do want to say the attitude that she took uh, and the proactiveness with which she handled her career progression certainly played out very well. Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital, business, and technology. 